0: Let's commit our time of study in God's word to Him in prayer. Let's pray together. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving us your word, the Bible. We ask now that your Holy Spirit teach us from its pages. Please convict us of any sin in our lives, we pray. Please rebuke us and correct any wrong thinking that we may have. Please empower us to change wrong attitudes or false beliefs that we may have. Please continue to train us to be mature disciples and more like the Lord Jesus in our attitudes and in our actions. We pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen. We've been working our way through and I've been preaching uh, the commands that are found in the book of James and I've been sharing with you uh, symbols and questions that uh, help us to understand what the Bible teaches. Not just in the book of James, of course, but anywhere you're reading in your Bible. A number of you have asked for that list, so we've got a copy of those um, symbols there. I've printed them all out, so if you want to find out what they are. There's still a couple I haven't shared with you, so if you get a copy, you'll get a preview of uh, the next time I'm down to preach, perhaps, God willing. Firstly, uh, in our last message that uh, I brought to you, I shared with you the symbols TAG, which stands for teaching. What does the Bible, what does this passage teach me about God? And uh, we need to make sure that we get our understanding of God correct, uh, make sure we get it from the Bible, and conform our thinking about who God is to what the Bible actually says. And secondly, I shared with you TAJ, which stands for teaching about Jesus. What does this passage teach me about Jesus is the question that we ask there. We need to make sure that we are following the right Jesus, the Jesus we find in Scripture. Our salvation depends on it. And then thirdly, the letters THS. What does this passage teach me about the Holy Spirit? We must make sure that we base our understanding about the Holy Spirit on what the Bible says about him, not just human impressions or what people might think. And then the third symbol was, uh, or fourth symbol was J for judgment. Sorry, I'll try that again. I want to give you three new symbols. Uh, first one being J equals judgment. Does this verse speak about judgment? Both the Old Testament and the New Testament have a lot to say about judgment. The Old Testament prophets in particular are often focused on pronouncing judgment after judgment. Not only on Israel but also various other nations around them as well. It's a surprise to some to find that the New Testament also has a lot to say about judgement especially in the ministry of the Lord Jesus who said more about judgement and hell than he did about love and heaven. Some today want to leave judgement out of their message but to do this is to not remain true to scripture and what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there is judgement to come for unrepentant sinners and there is judgement to come for Christian service as well. We're often told not to judge, but we're also commanded to judge as well. That's another study for another day. Are you ready for Judgment Day? So put the symbol J next to verses that speak about judgment. The next symbol I use is P slash T or P stroke T, which stands for praise and thanks. Is there something to praise and thank God for? So often we forget to praise God for what he is, for who he is and what he says, what he's done and what we're reading in the scriptures it's very important that we respond to verses about God and his goodness with praise and worship we teach our children don't we to say thank you and uh, if we're giving them things it's simply good manners we need to teach believers to say thank you to God as it's also simply good manners to do that we must guard against always asking God for more and more things and not saying thank you for what we already have It is good to start our prayer times firstly perhaps with a time of silence but then also to start with praise and thanks rather than just rush into God's presence with our latest shopping list of the things we want. Do you demonstrate good manners when you talk to God? Put the symbol P slash T next to verses that speak about things you can praise and thank God for. The next symbol is an asterisk which means I do not understand. This is where we ask the question, what does this verse mean? The Bible is an ancient document, originally written in foreign languages and in a cultural context that we find sometimes hard to understand. Modern translations into our own languages help us in overcoming many of these difficulties, but sometimes the original meaning can be obscured due to the fact that we don't understand the concept being explained and things are understood and done differently in different parts of the world. The cultural context may have been lost in the passing of time so that we just don't understand some things like idiomatic expressions, humour and local history. We haven't had this problem when we meet people from another country. Last week I was talking to one of the visitors who's from America and said, how's he going with the Australian English? And Can he understand some of the idiomatic expressions we use? And it's a constant problem in communicating with Australians well, we have similar problems in the New Testament writers. They also had these unusual expressions and cultural concepts. And so sometimes we just need to put an asterisk next to a verse and say, I don't understand this, but then seek help. Ask someone who's maybe older and wiser, uh, read a commentary, uh, get a good Christian book on the subject, or just ask a fellow believer and uh, try and work through it. You'll find most of the things we can't understand have been dealt with if not all of them by other people in different generations and it's amazing what life can come when we ask that question. I used to do this uh, as a young Christian I used to visit uh, the pastor of my church once a week uh, for about an hour and a half in my lunch break at work and uh, I keep saying there was something I couldn't understand and I can't find it so he suggested we we'll put an asterisk next to it so when you come you can just find it quickly and we can talk about it so it's a good thing to do well, in our studies in the commands in the book of James, uh, I want to share with you uh, some more commands. Uh, I want to look at four commands today. And the first one, the command 13 in the book of James is found in James 1 verse 21 that was read to us earlier. It says, therefore, get rid of all moral food, moral filth. The words get rid of are not in the imperative tense in the Greek. However, they are related and connected to the command found in verse 19 that says, take note of this. The word therefore indicates that we need to take action and respond in the light of the previous verses in this passage, what we call context. Verse 20 reminds us that our anger does not usually produce the righteous living that God requires of us. The importance of how we respond to God's word will be demonstrated by our actions, by our getting rid of sin in our life, getting rid of Uh, Immoral activity is a good example for us to follow. So, along with a C for a command, we can place an E for an example to follow next to this instruction. The words get rid of mean to take off or to lay aside. It's an expression calling for a change, calling for repentance. We've always, uh, we've already been told by James to change. He says we should be quick to listen and slow to speak and uh, slow to get angry particularly regarding what the Bible says. We saw that in verse 19. So we need to place the letter R, or the symbol R for repentance, next to this command. Positively speaking, God's word has the power to bring about new birth. We saw that in verse 18, chapter 1, verse 18. Being born again gives us the power that results in us being able to get rid of moral filth out of our lives. This is a clear instruction to take action regarding two more things as well the first thing we need to get rid of is all moral filth these words mean dirt or impurity or moral defilement not just some of it but all of it do you have any moral filth in your life? John MacArthur tells us filthiness translates the Greek word which refers to any sort of moral defilement or impurity it is closely related to a term used for wax in the ear which impairs hearing and is therefore especially appropriate in this context moral filthiness is a serious barrier to our clearly hearing and comprehending the word of god i actually thought about bringing a packet of cotton buds you know the things you use to clean your ears out with a little bit of cotton on the end of it but i thought nah you'll get them all dirty if i pass them out it's interesting in Myanmar it becomes a bit of a problem in some uh, warmer cultures. The wax in your ear builds up. Uh, you may have had to have your, what do they call that when they spray that stuff in your ear and it dissolves it. Well this is the word that James is using here. Uh, it's commonly used in the New Testament times for the, the filthy stuff that gets in your ear. And if you don't regularly clean your ears, you know what happens? Huh? What did you say? Huh? That's what happens, isn't it? So James is really saying to us if we've got moral filth in our lives then it blocks off our ability to hear and respond to God when he speaks to us in his word. So that's why we need to clear out this moral filth just like we need to clean our ears. In me and Martha have these little, it's like a key ring with these little things about so long and on the bottom of them is like a ladle you know, you use to take soup out of a saucepan but they're very small, they're tiny but they're graduated in different sizes. And you actually get somebody else to come and use those to clean your ear out. A metal con- thing in your ears, I think cotton buds are a better idea myself, but there you go. We need to help each other sometimes to clear out the things in our lives that shouldn't be there. Moral filth is the effect or the result of sinning, of living an unholy lifestyle. That is, living by our own standards instead of God's standards. If you still have some habit of sin in your life, you need to confess it. And that's one of the symbols I shared with you before. Confess, s to c sin to confess. We need to get rid of it. We need to repent, the letter R for repent, and ask for forgiveness. Thomas Watson, in his book on repentance, gives a very graphic description of what the word filth means. He says the Greek word signifies the putrid matter of ulcers. I don't know if you've ever had an ulcer or seen them they're a terrible, terrible thing to be afflicted with rotting flesh and pus come to mind so James is calling us to repentance in this instruction if you haven't already done so place the symbol R for repent next to this verse moral filth is something to beware of so you can put a B for beware also next to these words to make sure you avoid any contamination in your life caused by this moral filth the Apostle Paul had a similar concern. After listing a number of sins, he gives the following command. Ephesians 422 to 24 says, You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The Apostle Peter also gives a similar command. 1 Peter 2 verse 1. Therefore, he says, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, and of every kind. The New Testament, sorry, the Old Testament has lots of laws about being defiled and being cleansed. In the Old Testament, of course, uh, you had the sacrificial system that we referred to in communion. Genesis chapter 3 is where it all started. When we see Cain and Abel offering sacrifices for their sin The holiness passages that we find in Leviticus Demonstrate how serious God considers this need for cleansing Over and over again in the narrative of scripture Both Old Testament and New Testament We see the pattern of mankind sinning, repenting, being forgiven and cleansed And so often of course having to do it all over again This lack of repentance and cleansing and forgiveness contributes I think to the high level of mental illness that we experience in our society today. Anxiety, insecurity guilt and depression. Sometimes it's because we haven't got ourselves right with God. We need to be getting rid of all kinds of defilement in our life. How do we do that? The Apostle John tells us. 1 John 1, 7-9 If we walk in the light as he is in the light We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. It's a good formula for being cleansed. Do you have trouble hearing and responding to God's word? Is there a build-up of unconfessed moral filth cutting you off from your fellowship with God? Has your life become polluted by repeated disobedience to God's commands? Do you feel dirty and unclean in God's sight? Do you need to get rid of some sin, some moral filth in your life? Do you need to put off the old self and put on the new self? You need to confess and repent and forsake your unholy lifestyle right now. Other people may not know about your sin, but God does. Do not forget to thank God for the forgiveness and cleansing that he gives to us. T, praise and thanks for forgiveness. So the next command found in James, command number 14, is also in verse 21. Therefore, he says, get rid of the evil that is so prevalent... The second thing to get rid of is this prevalent evil. The words evil that is prevalent are not in the imperative tense but once again they go back to verse 19 where James says take note note of these things. Moral filth is the result of sinful living. Evil practices or habits are the action that produces this filth. The word evil means wickedness, sinfulness or malice. The word prevalent that James uses there means above the ordinary, a very great amount, an abundance of evil practices and habits. Do you need to put the symbol R for repent next to this verse? Evil practices are something to beware of and to avoid, so you can put a B for beware next to this verse as well. The Apostle Paul says something very similar to James in Colossians chapter three, verses five to ten. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in your life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, to one another, since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. John Owen, one of the Puritans, uh, talks about mortifying the flesh, how we need to put to death, that's what mortify means, put to death the evil habits that may be left over from our pre conversion days. Get rid of, put to death are strong words indeed. They require us to take action. We need to take sin seriously, take drastic action to rid ourselves from its effects in our life. One of the most common forms of this moral filth and evil practices in our world today is found in the, in, the, in the pandemic of pornography. While almost always being present in human society, until the advent of the internet, it was mostly kept out of public sight. Or as they say, under the counter. But in these days, the porn industry, as it's commonly called, is a fact of a massive growing industry, generating billions of dollars for those who run these debauched websites. The industry has become very powerful and seems to be almost untouchable by government authorities. Pornography and other forms of wickedness like alcohol and drug abuse, all forms of violence can become addictive and can multiply as quickly as a plague or a pandemic. Literally millions of people watch pornography daily and find their souls ripped apart by its ability to pervert and to change the whole lifestyle. James's advice to us is we must get rid of such moral filth and evil practices. It's very sound advice. In his days of the wicked Roman Empire, it was needed then but even more so today as we pervert technology and use it for evil practices. If you're just dabbling in pornography or fully addicted you need to confess it as sin repent of it and turn away from it get rid of it in the words of James you may need to seek help from God or human counsellors in order to get rid of and stay free from this addictive kind of sin Jesus said if you will come after me you must deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life, for me, will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Are you committed to obedience? Some of you may just like these, might be just like these people that James is writing to here. You're engaging in evil practices. Are some of your habits actually evil? Is there some sinful practice you need to get rid of you need to confess? Are you willing to obey this instruction and get rid of any evil practices in your life? Don't delay. Don't play with evil. James says, get rid of it. And this command, command 15, is found also in chapter 1, verse 21. James says, humbly accept the word planted in you. The word accept is in the imperative tense in the Greek. In other words, it's a strong command. It's an imperative that we obey it. The word accept Uh, It deliberately speaks of our attitude, our response, how we respond to God's word. The verse is not only a C for command, to obey, but it's also the, an example for us to follow. The word humbly speaks of how we should accept God's word. The word humble means mildness, gentleness, teachableness and meekness. In discussing the best way to translate the word humble John MacArthur says in his commentary humility seems most appropriate here because the idea is clearly that of selfless receptiveness of putting self as well as sins aside we will not indeed we cannot humbly accept God's word unless we had been given the new birth that Jane spoke about back in chapter 1 verse 18 where he said God chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created this is a truth James likely heard from the lips of his half brother the Lord Jesus where Jesus said you must be born again John chapter 3 verse 3 and following Peter expresses a similar thought 1 Peter 1 verse 23 he says for you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living enduring word of God so clearly repentance and humility are the result of being born again humility and acceptance, a good soil to plant the seed of God's word into. Do you have good soil, a good soil of a humble acceptance of God's word in your life, in your heart? James uses yet another of his 55 illustrations in his book and so place the letter I, which stands for illustration, next to this verse, particularly the concept of seed being planted. Notice also what James says at the end of verse 21. Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. If you've never humbly accepted God's word, you are not born again. You are not saved. Many have tried to earn their salvation by strict obedience alone, without humility. Without uh, humility, uh, obedience becomes legalism and pride and arrogance and of course results in empty, meaningless works. A simple definition, no humility, Equals no salvation. Being quick to listen to God's word is another way of saying humbly accept and submit to it. James says that in chapter 4 verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. This humble acceptance and submission to God's word is an action that we need to take day by day. What is your response to God's word? Do you accept it with humble obedience? Are you maintaining an attitude of acceptance of God's word? Or do you accept what you like and reject the rest? Are you a smorgasbord Christian? Are you trying to earn your salvation by strict obedience alone? Are you really born again? Is the word of God that has been planted in your life taking deep root in your heart and in your actions? You are cultivating humility and providing good soil in your heart and mind for God's word. Are you doing that? Are you working at humbly accepting God's word? Command number 16, James 1 verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. The word do is in the imperative tense in the Greek. Again, it's a strong command. This simple little word means to obey, to get moving, make it happen, to put this command into action. It's speaking about obedience. Listening to God's word as we saw in chapter 1 verse 19 is very important but we must not stop at just listening James says he uses the word merely stop at merely listening to God's word make sure you're not deceived so James is saying if you just listen and don't do you're deceived humbly receiving God's word is also very important but it must result in actually applying it to how we live each day or we have not received it humbly at all. The command is also a warning to us. We need to beware of just listening to God's word and not progressively living by it, putting it into practice, following its instructions. The just listening may be happening right here this morning. It may be happening in your life now. You're listening, but are you putting it into practice? So we need to put a B for beware next to this verse as well. Beware of just listening and not doing. The Apostle John says something similar to James, 1 John 3 verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Very bold words, aren't they? Very strong words from the Apostle John. If we do not do what the Bible says is right, we are in fact children of the devil, he says. Or to use James' expression, we are being deceived. To put it bluntly, doing God's word, if you are doing that, you are a child of God. Not doing God's word means you are a child of the devil. Blunt words indeed. Notice it does not say knowing, studying or even preaching God's word. It says doing it. Even a legalistic, disciplined practising of the commands of Scripture alone cannot save. It takes a changed heart, changed by God, from stone to flesh, as Ezekiel talks about. Regeneration, being born again from above, so that we humbly receive and obey God's Word. A person who just listens to God's Word can be compared to a person who loves the writings of famous authors, like William Shakespeare, they treat the Bible like other great literature. They love the Bible, they can quote the Bible, just like they love Shakespeare and quote his words. But do not actually live and obey God's word. It's amazing how many non-believers, even journalists, professors and even politicians actually quote passages from the Bible. But they have no faith to live by it day by day. We looked at the word deceived in our last study. And we're reminded there that it means to be deluded or to be tricked into believing error, to miscalculate, to reason falsely. Notice that this is self-inflicted, a self-inflicted state of mind that a person is in. You are responsible to ensure that you are not deceived. How do you do that? By studying, reading, applying God's word, obeying his commands. James warns us about being being deceived back in chapter 1 verse 16 and again in chapter 1 verse 26 so obviously it's an important concept to him many attempts have been made to counterfeit and copy the US dollar. it has been said that the US Treasury officials have found the best way to train staff to spot a counterfeit currency is to get them familiar with the genuine currency, to handle it, to see it, not study the false counterfeit ones once they get to know the real thing they can quickly identify false notes If you have never seen or handled US currency before, you may not know whether it's genuine or not. When you see an encounter and become familiar with genuine faith, you can more easily identify counterfeit faith. I collected a couple of coins when I was in uh, in Myanmar. I think it was on the last trip. This uh, particular coin is what they call an American silver dollar. Uh, it's It's got to have the particular picture of the lady on the back and it's got to have the eagle wings on the front. The silver content for this is about $18, if you want to melt it down. But if you Google it, don't Google it now, I know some of you will be tempted, but if you Google it, you'll find that one of these, if it's genuine and not a counterfeit, is now selling for between 2 and $12 million. Even in the late 1800s, it's 1804 that it was supposed to be produced. Even then, it was $1,000 in value. Because it's a very limited circulation And do you think this is a genuine one? I've got two here You've probably got your doubts So have I You can test it They say if it rings like a bell Not really like a bell, is it? Ding, ding, ding They have these little micrometer things You can put on to measure the size Another way of checking it Uh, The other way is to weigh it They have these very fine scales And these are ways they check so I've got two of them here, so that probably means I could be worth $24 million. If you want to have a look at them later? Sort of like a bell, isn't it? Well, it's a bit the same with false Christianity. People who are committed to obedience, they look like they're a Christian because they're obeying the law, but if their heart is not changed, then they're not really genuine. It's important for us, just like we want to make sure we've got good US dollars to make sure we've got good coins in our pocket. James is saying that true, true faith can be identified. How? Well, it's by seeing that you can see it. Real believers do what the Bible says and that obedience comes from their heart, not just out of some form of counterfeiting Christianity by following laws and rules and regulations. To only listen to God's word is not to do what it says. It is a dangerous thing and we need to avoid not putting it into practice. So put a B next to this for beware. John MacArthur says, a more literal translation of the Greek word means prove yourselves to be continually and keep on striving to be doers of God's word. So you can see this doing is not a one-off event. The Greek text is in the present continuous tense. It's a lifestyle, an ongoing custom and habit that we are constantly being disciplined in our habit and life practices. We need to be striving continually to obey we need to simply do what the Bible says. Let me quote John MacArthur once again. As important as the proper reception of the word of God is, without obedience to its truths, it is not only without benefit, but becomes a further judgment against its readers. It is essential to hear the word with an attitude of submission, but even that is not enough. Obedience to the word is the most basic spiritual requirement and it is the common denominator for all true believers. The bottom line of, of true spiritual life is not a momentary feeling of compliance or commitment, but long-term obedience to scripture. It's a long quote. And I should leave it up there for a while so you can read it through again. But what he says is spot on and in total agreement with James and John and Paul and Peter and the Bible. I think we need to focus on making sure our lives are conforming to what the Bible says. Are you doing what the Bible says? Are you continually striving to make sure you obey God's word? Are you hearing, reading, studying, memorising, meditating and obeying God's word? Have you just stopped at mere listening? Do you need to put the symbol R for repent next to this verse? We all fail to obey some of these commands some of the time so we all need to be writing the symbol S2C Remember what that stands for? Sin to confess next to this verse and ask for forgiveness when we disobey this command. Well our last command in James is found in 1 verse 22 as well. It's basically the same as the one before. James says do what it says. This is the second occurrence of the do in the word do in verse 22. Is not in the imperative tense but of course it's an instruction arising out of the first time he uses it. The word do is a very simple word Short and sweet, not so easy to put into practice and apply to the way we live. We need to put it into practice in our daily lives, in our attitudes, in what we say we believe. We make decisions and as we make decisions we make sure we are doing what the Bible says. We can place our knee next to this command as well. George Stulak reminds us this in his commentary. He says, If I am saved, I will give myself to doing to the doing of my Lord's word it is not that I will attempt to save myself by obeying commands rather because I am saved I will set my heart on doing the will of God who is my saviour there's a big difference between obeying to get saved and obeying obeying because we're already saved because we love the Lord the apostle Paul again emphasises this importance of doing God's word 1 John 2 3-6 we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands the man who says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him but if anyone obeys his word God's love is truly made complete in him this is how we know we are in him whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did there is no doubt that both James and John got this teaching from the Lord Jesus Matthew 7:21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. John 15:14. Jesus said, You are my friends if you do what I command. So we can see that this is a very important concept to James. We must make sure that we are doing God's word from the heart. James then goes on in this passage and gives us example after example of what it means to do God's word. as I said before there are 55 illustrations in James and in this chapter and the following chapters James keeps giving an illustration after illustration how do we do God's word read his book there are plenty of examples there for you to follow as we noted above in these chapters James emphasises this importance not just to say we hear God's word not just to listen but to do what it says that's the test of whether we really love the Lord or not Are you looking to Jesus for salvation? Are you committed to obeying his word? Are you a true friend of Jesus? Do you obey him? Are you reading and studying God's word with a view to putting it into practice? Are you helping the poor in this world? Are you on guard against contamination of your thinking with worldly thinking? Let's close our time of study in prayer. Let me lead you in prayer. We worship you, Heavenly Father for giving us new birth and for giving us this gift of saving faith because we've looked to Jesus we thank you for those who planted the seed of your word into our lives for any listening to this message who have been deceived we ask that the light of your word will correct their thinking and their attitude we pray that you would empower all those present here today to get rid of any moral filth or evil habits in their lives We ask for your help as we seek to humbly receive your word and obey your commands that we find in the pages of your word. Please make us, uh, please help our feeble attempts to do your word, to do what you say, uh, to make us a testament to all those around about us of what it means to be a true follower of the Lord Jesus. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. We would invite you to stand with us.